today is the last Sunday uh, for our series, The B Attitudes. And uh, as you guys know, for the past eight weeks, uh, we've talked about the different attitudes and characteristics that show up in the Beatitudes that are taught by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus tells us each Beatitude begins with this word blessed. Uh, it's the word makarios in the Greek. It's the word happy or joy. So as we apply these, these characteristics and these attitudes to our lives, there's a kind of joy that we experience that is unchanged by our, our worldly circumstances. You know, the world tells us that our happiness is circumstantial, right? If things are going well, then I'm happy. If things are not going well, I'm not going to be happy. But Jesus says, no, our, our, our joy, our happiness is found in Christ, and as we live uh, these kingdom principles out in our lives, there's a kind of joy that is experienced that the world cannot take away. It's an amazing thing. So I want to invite you this morning to, to turn with us to Matthew chapter 5. Um, the, the last beatitude is in verse 10, 11, and 12. And as you're turning there, I want to take just a few moments and just, uh, if you served this morning... In any capacity, I'm not going to call you out or anything like that, but if you served on the worship team, uh, if you helped greet this morning, if you served in a children's classroom or you taught one of our classes, I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for giving your time today. Um, you know, the ministry of the church, the, the, the mission that God's given us, it can't happen when just a few people do a lot of things. Uh, we have to have the entire body using their gifts, using their abilities that God's given them and, and serving. So thank you so much uh, for serving this morning and for giving your time. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 8 through 12. I don't know about you, but it's kind of bittersweet this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sad that we're finishing the study. This has been, for me personally, this has been such a great uh, season of growth. And looking at the Beatitudes like I've never looked at them before. And I know we have some groups that have gone through this study as well. And, uh, but it's bittersweet because we had a snow day, we had a guest speaker, and it's been 10 weeks total. And I'm kind of ready to move on after this. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get into the Easter season. And uh, I'm just really excited. But today I think will be a great way uh, to wrap up this series. So if you'll look with me to Matthew 5 verses 10 through 12, it says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then Jesus concludes and he says, Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we get through each beatitude and we arrive at this point. And from here, Jesus continues with the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is saying there's, there's joy in living our lives after the kingdom principles that are found in the rest of the beatitudes and throughout the rest of God's word. But he's also saying this, in living this way, in living our lives, pursuing Jesus, following Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus, in living this way will also bring what he calls persecution. You know, this is, a, this is a difficult beatitude for us to accept. And Jesus is telling us that persecution is a consequence of living a kingdom lifestyle. A kind of lifestyle that is in complete contrast to and in conflict with the rest of the world. You see, when you, when you go through the beatitudes one 
by one. We've talked about how it starts in the heart and it begins to work outwardly, how we uh, interact with others, how we live our our lives for Jesus. The, The world doesn't value people who are poor in spirit that recognize their need for God. The world doesn't value people who call sin for what it is. The, the world doesn't value the meek, uh, the people who hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. The world doesn't value the merciful or people who, who seek to live godly lives. And the world certainly doesn't value agents of peace, people who run to conflict and try to resolve that, but more than that, try to resolve and, and restore relationship. But when we live our lives like this, passionately following Jesus, persecution will at some point inevitably follow. But in the midst of persecution, Jesus says, there's a kind of joy that we experience that the world can't take away from us. It's this makarios. It's this, this joy that is unchanged by whatever kind of situation or season that you find yourself in. So the question this morning as we, as we dive into the text is, what is persecution? What is this persecution that Jesus is talking about? And why does he choose to end the Beatitudes this way? Well, the very next verse, we'll keep the scripture on the screen. In verse 11, it really helps define persecution for us. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, and when they say all kinds of evil against you. And then he says, he ends, he says, because of me. I believe that Christians can be, can, can expect to hear derogatory names called at them at times. They, they can expect to be ridiculed, which is mocked, laughed at, and shamed at times. Christians can expect to be lied about in different, different areas, maybe your work or in family, and, and even physically harmed at times. You know, we see all of these different aspects of persecution present throughout the world today. In some countries, we see uh, Christians physically being persecuted for their faith. In other places, we see people throwing insults and lying about Christians and, and who they are and what they believe. But Jesus says, if you follow me long enough, you can expect that someone's not going to like it. Your association with me and how you live your life for me, persecution will follow. But whatever type of persecution that you face, there's an important truth that we have to remember. And and I think sometimes we, we look over this when we read the scriptures. It says that persecution, the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about, isn't experienced as a result of of being rude or obnoxious and saying that that's our faith. You know, there are plenty of self-righteous religious people today who are rude, obnoxious, and they experience persecution not as a result of following Jesus, but as a result of promoting themselves, promoting their own agenda or their own ideas. And I would say this, church, especially in America, we tend to take whatever uh, political party that we're a part of and we try to apply that to the Word of God, and then we make that our mission, like what Jesus has called us to do. And, And that's not at all the mission that we've been given. I know a lot of people who, uh, they follow their political party so much more than they do the gospel and, and what Jesus calls us to do. And then they say when people harass them or say mean things about them, that that's persecution. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not persecution at all. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see, if we love Jesus and follow Jesus... Scripture teaches that we will experience persecution at some point. In this letter to a young pastor, his name is Timothy, 
We have first and, and second Timothy, but it's the same person. The Apostle Paul reminds us that people who obey God and live their lives for Jesus will be persecuted. And Paul goes on to remind Timothy that we shouldn't be surprised when people misunderstand, when people criticize and even try to harm Christians because of what we believe and how God has called us to live our lives. We shouldn't be surprised. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not grow tired of living the kingdom life that God's called us to live. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You see, Paul encourages Timothy and he encourages the church to not give up. Don't give up. That we should continue forward, boldly living our faith for Jesus. You see, Paul's life, if you look at his life in and of itself, it serves as an example to us that, that we're not following Jesus in order to please the world. We're not following Jesus in order to please our family. And I know this is kind of harsh, but we're not following Jesus in order to please our spouse. We follow Jesus because of what he's done in our lives, for what he accomplished on the cross, and because we want to, more than anything that's in us, we want to please the Lord. We want to please God. Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 says, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. This is the Apostle Paul talking. But of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Jesus tells us in this beatitude today that we can actually somehow rejoice and be glad when we experience persecution because our reward is in heaven. When we look at that word rejoice and be glad, they come from the Greek word chero. This is a verb, and it actually means to be exceedingly grateful for or to delight in something. So think about that for a second. Jesus is saying you can be exceedingly grateful for or you can delight in suffering and persecution. That's upside-down living. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if it makes sense to you. But when you begin to read the greater story, you see why. And the reason why uh, we can be exceedingly grateful for or we can delight in something that seems so contradictory is because there's blessing in suffering for Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have been made right with God, that's that word justified, we've been justified in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. We, we don't deserve it. We've talked about that before. And it says, we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And then here it is. Look at this with me, church. It says, we can rejoice that's that word, be grateful uh, for. We can delight in when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope that, that we have will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. You know, when we talk about persecution, when we talk about problems, trials, or, or suffering that we 
that we have in our, in our lives. There's a direct connection all throughout Scripture uh, between this idea of rejoicing and being glad in those times and God's grace. There's a direct connection. And what we're able to rejoice in is God's grace because that's what helps us through the difficult times. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of a season of suffering, we can experience God's grace and we can experience His provision in our lives. You see, there's grace in these times. And this grace is what grows us into the people that God has called us to be. So Jesus ends this beatitude by reminding his disciples and reminding us generations later that persecution as a result of right living for God is actually not a new thing. He was talking with his disciples and explaining what they can expect for following Jesus. And here's the thing. This, this was not a new message. This isn't, you know, they followed Jesus and for the first time in history. They experienced persecution. This, this wasn't a new thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12 says this. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And then hear this. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So for many generations, for many generations, God's people, the men and women who stood boldly for God, who lived their life for God, they suffered and were persecuted because of their faith. And Jesus, he's telling his disciples that the the prophets' stories, these men and women who went before them, they remind us about the grace, hope, and blessing that's found when we're persecuted as a result of living our lives for Jesus. Their stories matter. There's something to be learned from the lives of the men and women who have gone before us. The Bible is rich with accounts of people who suffered for their faith. And I would say this this morning that their stories although we look at them like maybe it's something that took place a few thousand years ago, their stories are our stories. The way that they were persecuted and the way they suffered and God's fulfillment of his promise and his goodness, that's our story. There are great lessons to be learned from the people who have gone before us. So what I, what I want to do this morning, just in the last half of the message, is I want to direct our attention to a few really powerful persecution stories that we see in God's word. And we're going to do, again, kind of flying at 30,000 feet and just kind of doing an overlook of, of some of these stories because some of them, as you'll see, are, are pretty, pretty long. So we're not going to dive in too deep. But we're going to look at these powerful persecution stories and what they teach us about how we can respond to persecution in our own lives. What they teach us about how we can respond to suffering in our own lives. So the first story that we're going to look at this morning is Job's persecution story. Job's persecution story. And this is found in the book of Job, chapter 1 through 42. So I hope you brought a sack lunch. We're going to read all the way through. No, (laughs) I already said we wouldn't. Just, you know, Flying at 30,000 feet, we're just going to look down and kind of get a glimpse this morning. So Job's story is one that we often don't think about being a persecution story when we're talking about persecution, right? It's, it's something we often don't think about. But when you read the story in context, I believe that it absolutely is. 
You know, most Bible scholars and, and most historians believe that uh, this was the first book to be written in the Bible. Now, it's not the first uh, historically when you look at the events that took place, but because it was the first book ever written, it really is our first look at why evil and suffering exist in the world. Maybe you have that question. You know, why does a good God allow uh, bad things to happen to good people? Well, in that question, we're not going to dive into that today, but there's all sorts of bad theology in that question anyway. But um, we're, we're going to see through Job's life uh, why suffering and why persecution comes. You know, Job lived during a time when false belief and false doctrine was the norm. All right, you didn't have a really loud voice of people who had faith in, in God. He, he was flying kind of solo, and you see that in his interactions with his, with his friends. Most of the culture in his time, they, they believe something that's pretty scary, and I think that it's infiltrated its way into the local church a little bit as well. Most of his culture believed that persecution and suffering came from inconsistent gods, lowercase g, who enjoyed watching people suffer. That was really the premise of, of this conversation that he's having with his, his friends. And, and the idea is that if you lived your life right and you worked hard to please the gods, you might be rewarded. It was a, a, a complete works-based, uh, I don't know that you would even say salvation, but it was you worked hard and you were rewarded. That was the gist of it. And then if you did something wrong, you would be punished. And, and, and again, I think some of this has infiltrated the local church a little bit. You know, what did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me? Why is God making me suffer? Why? You know, we ask questions like that. But Job's story proves that this type of belief is, is completely wrong. When you read Job's story, you learn that his suffering came from an individual who is labeled as an accuser. That, that was his name at this time, who wages accusations against us before the one true God. And so it's this, this accuser, it's his job to go before God and, and uh, falsely say things about you. But as we see, God already knows us. He's all-knowing. He knows our heart. He knows uh, where we're at in life. In chapter 1 of Job, we learn that this accuser is, is Satan. And again, this is not a topic we're going to get into today, but I, I believe in a literal Satan. I believe that Scripture teaches that. I believe that Jesus believed in a literal Satan, and, and so we believe that as a church. So Job, we, we learn that he loses almost everything that he has in life. He loses his livestock. He loses his home. He loses his servants and his sons and his daughters. And what's interesting is the devil leaves his wife. God says, you know, basically you can have free reign. You know, do what you want. Just don't harm Job. And, and God leaves his wife. And I've, I've often wondered why that is. And you, you kind of have to wonder, she, she must have really been a piece of work for, for Satan to leave her, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and to take everything else that he had in life. But through Job's loss, we learn that although Job may have, uh, or God may have allowed suffering and persecution to happen, uh, God didn't cause it. He didn't cause it. In fact, God ultimately honors Job's faithfulness through the suffering and completely restores everything that Job had lost. 
There's a lot of life lessons that we can learn from, from Job, but this book is a vital foundation for understanding how to respond to persecution in our own lives. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point that we're going to talk about when it comes to learning how to respond to persecution is this. We have to recognize the source. We have to recognize the source. I believe that's the first step in responding correctly to persecution. In the book of Ephesians, chapter twelve or chapter 6, verse 12, we read this. There's not 12 chapters in Ephesians, by the way. It's Ephesians 6, verse 12. It says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And we know throughout God's word that Satan is the enemy of God. Satan is the enemy of God. There is nothing good about him. And knowing that, I'd like for you to think about Job's life and his persecution story in this way. Um, First of all, raise your hand this morning if you're a parent. Raise your hand if you're a parent this morning. Just look around the room this morning. I mean, it's it's almost everybody. And even if you don't have a biological kid, you know, I know there's a lot of people in our church that help serve and and they walk alongside kids. and, And you're a parent in a lot of ways. But think about Job's story, his persecution story this way. If you're, if you're a parent, um, someone can hurt you. But a better way to hurt you is to get to your kids and to hurt them. If your kids are hurt, that's really what ends up hurting you. Now, Satan cannot get to God. He can't. So he does the next best thing, and we see this all throughout God's word. He, he hurts God's children, which is us. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, we read about how, how Satan is our accuser. That's what this, this word shows up over and over again. It's, it's not the person at work who's harassing you. It's not the family member who puts you down because of your faith in Jesus. It's not the individual who physically persecutes millions of Christians around the world. Satan is the source of evil and suffering. He is the accuser. And it's important that we learn to recognize where the real battle is. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Satan is the source of evil and suffering. And I believe this is the first step in learning how to respond to suffering and persecution in our lives. That's Job's story. We're going to Go back a little bit. Like I said, we're going to briefly look at these stories this morning. The second persecution story that I want to talk about today is Joseph's persecution story. And this is found in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Can you imagine if we were to read this today? It'd go on for a while. So we've already talked about Joseph's life a little bit in this series. I believe it was in week two. Um, But there's so many life lessons to be learned from from his life. So you know already, as a child, as a young man, um, Joseph was physically thrown down a well. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of rape. And he was forgotten in prison. And and this persecution, this suffering, we know lasted about 17 years. And again, there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from Joseph's story. We could apply it to meekness. We could apply it to mercy and peace. But the one that I want to look at today is how Joseph chose to respond to persecution. He, He knew what persecution was like firsthand. So the second thing I'd have you write down this morning is this. Refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 19, we read these words. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And then it says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, and this is amazing, this is a promise. I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You have a God who is fighting on your behalf this morning. You have a God who's given us a perfect plan because he's the one that gets the last word. That shouldn't be our role. You see, when you recognize who the real enemy is, when you recognize the source, you begin to understand that the person attacking you really is just a pawn. Many times they, they don't even realize that they're being used by Satan for that purpose. You see, Joseph, he could have tried to, to right the wrong on his own. I mean, you look at every scene in his life, whether it was being pushed down a well or being sold into slavery or being falsely accused of rape or being forgotten in prison. I mean, the list goes on and on. I know if I were Joseph, I would have tried to right the wrong on my own. I would have tried to, to make things right and done whatever I could to have the last word. See, but what, what happens if, if Joseph would have tried to do this? What would have happened if he would have fought back or punished everyone else once he rose to power in Egypt? I believe that would not have given God room to work in his life. He would have been taking control And he wouldn't have learned the life lessons that God was showing him. You see, if Job's story teaches us about faithfulness and learning to recognize the real source of suffering and persecution in our lives, then Joseph's story teaches us that, and hear this, church, God will use specific details of our suffering to bring about his plan and to grow us into the people that he's called us to be. God will use the specific details of the persecution that you face, the suffering that you're going through, the trials, the heartache. God will use the details of those seasons to help grow you into the people that he has called you to be. Someone say amen this morning. That is good news, church. That God does not leave us alone in our suffering. God does not leave us alone in our sin. God doesn't leave us alone in persecution. You see, if Joseph had had decided to take action into his own hands instead of trusting God with his future, his story would have looked completely different. We might not be talking about Joseph this morning. He trusted God. Here's some of the things that God did in Joseph's life, and maybe this will connect with you today. God grew Joseph's administrative gifts while he was a slave in Potiphar's house. That's not a position that anybody wants. But God grew his gifts and and his his talents, his abilities during that time. God helped Joseph learn about patience while he was in prison. We see this in the life of the Apostle Paul as well. I don't want to be in that kind of position. I don't want to be chained to a wall, hanging out with people that I don't really like or know for a long period of time. But God used that to teach him patience and, and, and trust and faith. God showed Joseph how to live faithfully while he lived in a culture or a nation that was not his own. You know, we're seeing in our culture, this is just the reality, um, that every generation that, that is born and grows up, more and more people are, are turning their backs on, on God and the church and kind of go in their own direction. We're, we're more and more living in an area that's hostile to having a personal faith in Jesus. But Joseph learned how to live in a time that was just like that, and maybe even more so, in a nation that wasn't his own, a people that that believed in in multiple gods. They didn't fear the God of the Bible. 
And God developed him during that time. So instead of retaliating against the people who insult you, instead of retaliating against the people who persecute you or tell lies about you, today's beatitude talks about look, look for the ways that God is working to grow your faith and grow your gifts during the difficult seasons. Learn from Joseph and refuse to retaliate. Trust that God has a plan. Trust that his plans, his thoughts, his, his ways are way greater and way higher than anything that I could ever plan, that his plans are perfect. He has a purpose for this season that you're going through. The third story that I want to look at this morning is the apostles' persecution story. So we're jumping to the New Testament now. And uh, we see that really from the time they started following Jesus, things were good for a while. And then you start seeing them drop off like flies because things got difficult. And the ones who were really faithful and the ones who really wanted to follow Jesus, they stayed with Jesus. And that's kind of what happens in in our lives today too. You know, it's like I'll be a Christian, I'll go to church, but if things get hard, maybe it's not for me. You know, um, I think the people who left Jesus were believing a prosperity gospel and not the gospel of the Bible because the life of a Christian is, is not easy. There's difficulty. There's challenges. And the apostles' persecution story, again, there's, there's a handful of them. But the one I want to look at today is in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 42. Now, this is a story that I could have shared with you just like the others. But when I was reading through it, Again, there's a few verses here, but I want to ask that you just kind of wake yourself up for a minute. Um, If there's one thing that you get today, this would be it, all right? I want to read the text with you and uh, and let you see this whole story and how it plays out because it's it's absolutely amazing. So let's go through this together. Um, Acts chapter 5, verse 17, and I'll I'll read it like a 1.5 speed, a little bit faster. So the, the high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy, They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. I mean, we could stop there. That's amazing, right? That's just amazing. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priests and his officials arrived, uh, they, uh, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. This this isn't just a few. This is the full assembly. This is every one of them. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked. They would have had men that checked this over and over again. With the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Here's where it starts to get really cool. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. They were fed up with Christians. They were tired of their shenanigans. Then someone arrived with startling news. You see, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple. They're teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid that people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. He gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He's talking about Jesus. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want uh, to make us responsible for his death. But then Peter and the apostles replied, here's their reply. We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on the cross. 
Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. When they heard this, the high council was furious and they decided to kill them right then and there. But one member, a Pharisee named, and this is a hard word to say. I'm going to give it my best, all right? I'm not going to butcher it. Gamaliel. We'll go with that. Who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people. He stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. And then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care what you're planning to do to these men. Some time ago, there was a fellow, Thutis, who pretended to be something great. So this was a false prophet. This guy, was he didn't amount to really much. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and his followers went their separate ways. The whole movement came to an end. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and his followers were scatters. So here's this Pharisee's advice to the rest of the religious leaders. Listen to this. My advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. And this is my favorite part. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. The others accepted his advice, but they called in the, the apostles and had them flogged. So they, they, they beat them, they persecuted them, and then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then here's how he finishes. The apostles left high council, there's that word, rejoicing, rejoicing. They, they, were, they were glad. They were overflowing with gladness that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. Amen. Hmm. What a beautiful story. I wonder if this would be our response to persecution. I wonder if this would be our response to the things that people say about us, the lies that are told. I wonder if this is how we would respond. Matthew 5, verse 44 says, But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The third point that I want you to write down today is this, that when we're faced with persecution, we should respond positively and rejoice. We should respond positively and rejoice. You know, this, this type of, of, of response to persecution and suffering it isn't easy, and it's definitely unnatural. It's unusual, but it's what God calls us to do. Jesus wants us to be proactive in our response, to think ahead of time about how we're going to respond to suffering, to pain, to heartache, to, to persecution in our lives. He doesn't want us to be reactive. Right? We, we, we deal with that too much in our day-to-day conversations sometimes. We're, we're emotionally reactive instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to have time to work in our lives so that we say the right things and we do the right things. He wants us uh, to, to be proactive, not reactive. You know, we can't control the things that happen to us. We, we can't control the things that happen to our brothers and sisters who are facing physical persecution today because of their faith. There are, there are countries this morning that people are having to uh, come together in secret to worship God. They've, they've traveled miles and miles and miles just to worship together, just to hear from God's word. And we should pray for them, but we also need to understand that we can't control how others treat us. 
but we can control how we react. We can control how we respond. When we respond positively, we learn to pray for and love our enemies. We can pray for their hearts. We pray that God would do a huge work in their lives. We can pray for the right kind of influence in circumstances that they would uh, just be point, pointed to Jesus. You know, and a lot of times when we have family members who might not know Jesus, and, and that really hurts us, or, um, we, we see things going on in the world, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we just don't hear the response that we're looking for. I have found in my own life that oftentimes prayer is not so much that someone else would have a heart change or, or, or God would do something on their behalf. When I pray, God often begins to work in my heart and in my life. And that's why prayer should be our, our first response and not just our last. So we learn to love and pray for, for those people. Matthew chapter 5, verse 12, this is the end of the, the beatitude for today. It says, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus isn't telling us, and you need to hear this, and I, I felt like we, had to t- we needed to talk about this today. Jesus isn't saying rejoice and be glad about the pain. Right? He's not saying rejoice and be glad about um, the things that are said to you. The hurt that you feel. The physical element to whatever is happening. He's not telling us to rejoice and be glad about those things. He's saying when people put you down for your faith because you're living like Jesus, don't complain. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. We rejoice because persecution that follows obedience and right living for Jesus, that kingdom living, is actually evidence that God's spirit is at work in our lives. Scripture teaches us this. That when God's Spirit is at work in our lives, when He's working, that's, that's one of the results. We rejoice because it means that God can trust us and is using us for His glory. And Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verse 17 and 18, it says, For our present troubles are small and they won't last long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at our troubles that we can see now. We rather fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I would say that we also rejoice in our times of suffering and persecution because we know that the persecution we face is only temporary. It's only temporary, friends. The early prophets and disciples, they, they had an eternal perspective when it came to persecution. They, they understood that they would spend far more time on the other side of eternity than they would in this place. Did you believe that? Do you claim that in your own life, that promise? I mean, we're going to spend an, an immeasurable amount of time on the other side of eternity. And what happens here really does just prepare us for that. They understood that God wanted them to make their lives count. And that's why Jesus calls us to rejoice. We don't rejoice over the hurt. The goal of the Christian life is not persecution. I think while the prosperity gospel has influenced a lot of churches in our country, I think that there's another side of that where people are saying that to be a Christian, your life has to look like a life of suffering. It has to look like a life of pain. And I think that's a false gospel as well. The goal of the Christian life is not persecution. The goal of the Christian life is a relationship with Jesus. 
to relationship with Jesus. But the truth is this, that if you're with Jesus long enough, if you associate with Jesus long enough, if you follow Jesus long enough, that there's going to be someone who doesn't like it. And you're going to experience persecution. So to end this series and to end the the message today, I want to talk about one final persecution story. And that is Jesus' persecution story. It was interesting. Um, Isaiah 53 was read this morning because that's the, the verse that I'd like to look at today. Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says that he was despised and rejected. And Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised And we did not care. You see, when God became flesh, we're told that he was a man of great sorrow, that he was acquainted with with great grief. Jesus, if you look at his story, he was rejected by members of his own family. He endured the shame of his hometown who gossiped and lied about him. He was hated by the religious leaders of his day. He was betrayed by his friends. Falsely accused, he was beaten. He was tortured to death. But we know that's not the end of the story. We know that it didn't end there. We know that Jesus defeated sin. He defeated Satan. And he defeated death. Amen? The fourth thing I'd have you write down today, and this is what we'll close with, is that when you leave here today, I would like you to claim the promise that we serve a God who understands and cares about our pain. We serve a God who understands and cares about our pain. Jesus' life should be a message of hope for all persecuted Christians around the world. To remember that whatever path of suffering that we're walking, the footsteps of our Savior goes before us, leading us, encouraging us, growing us, and giving us strength and hope. This hope is not a 50-50 shot of maybe it'll work out. The kind of hope that Jesus talks about is a 100% chance. It's going to happen because God never goes back on his word. He never goes back on his promises. And what a powerful message for those who are blessed to live a life of, of relative comfort. You know, the path of Jesus is a path of suffering and sacrifice that leads to an eternity where, where there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. So the question today is, as a church, are are we willing to to follow Jesus wherever he leads us in this life? That's the real question. Regardless of, of what we experience, whether it is a life of relative comfort or whether it's a life full of persecution and, and heartache and sorrow, are we willing as a church and as individuals to follow Jesus wherever he calls us to go? Are you willing to live your life after God's design? The kind of kingdom living that's recorded for us throughout the Beatitudes and throughout the rest of God's word. You see, when we live for Jesus, there's a kind of joy that is untouchable. It's unchangeable by the world. And I believe that's why Jesus ends the Beatitudes this way. He's saying, hey, everything else we've talked about, if you live your life this way, you're going to experience persecution. If you're poor in spirit, if you begin to recognize sin for what it is, if, if you live your life with, with meekness and, and mercy, if you're a peacemaker uh, for Jesus, you're going to experience persecution. Let's close with Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. And I would encourage you this morning, 
this is, this is Jesus talking to you. I receive this and apply this today. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you.